What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 179 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, I'm your host. My name is Tim Backbeck, and I'm just plodding along as always. It's been a pretty boring week, to be totally honest. Um, do want to say a quick thank you to everyone that checked out last week's episode with Sean Decker. Um, I know that Sean is uh, quite a sort of significant person in the sort of screamo DIY scene, and I know a lot of people sort of enjoyed that episode. So thank you for everyone that kind of checked that out. Um, I've got quite a few more guests in that world and sphere coming up in the coming weeks, which I hope everyone enjoys just as much. Um, but yeah, as kind of mentioned, a pretty sort of dull and boring week over here this this week. Nothing to major to report. Haven't even really listened to that much new music either. There wasn't a whole bunch out on Friday last week, so haven't got a lot to kind of share with you this week. So I'm going to keep this intro pretty short and sweet. So you don't have to hear my, me babbling on as per usual. So let's get into our guest. Uh, this week, I'm joined by hosts of the Carter Chronicles podcast, uh, vocalist in, from Infraction, and he's also uh, one of the members of the Ready Eye Collective who put on hardcore shows in London, uh, is John Carter. Um, John was kind enough to take some time out of his day to have a little chat with me, uh, obviously in regards to everything about his podcast. Uh, we talk about how he's kind of like grown in confidence as a vocalist, having previously been in bands where it was him and another vocalist uh, and Infraction being the first time where he's put sort of the solo kind of focus. Um, we talk obviously about his sort of journey through metal into the uh, hardcore and becoming part of the London hardcore scene. We talk about Ready Eye and what they're kind of hoping for the future. And yeah, just loads, loads more. So please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with John, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so uh, joining me this week on the Justin Inside podcast is Infraction Vocalists, uh, member of Ready Eye Collective and host of the Carter Chronicles podcast, John Carter. John, thank you very much for for taking some time to have a little chat with me. How are you? I'm good, man. Yeah, no worries. Uh, good to be on here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, obviously, like, we'll touch various sort of points and, and stuff kind of like throughout the conversation, but... Like, I want to kind of start with, with the podcast just because I think it's quite an interesting thing. Like, obviously, loads of people have kind of started podcasts and stuff over, like, the pandemic and things. Yeah. But with yours, like, even though it's quite similar to what I do in t- terms of, like, talking to people in, like, music and hardcore and stuff, you've kind of picked people that I haven't heard on podcasts before. So was that kind of, like, why you wanted to start it? Or was it just like, oh, I want to chat with my mates because I can't see them at the moment? I mean, a bit of both, really, because the podcast come about back in the first lockdown. I was sitting there going like, I'd really like to do a podcast. I'd really like to do a podcast again, because I used to do one years and years ago with a group called the Nerd Bong. Right. OK. And it was basically all nerd shit. So they, a couple of them would have like a podcast about TV shows like The Flash and Arrow. Um, and yeah. I did one focused basically on Batman comics, because that was all I was reading at the time. So I had one called Bat Chat, and that was back in like 2010. So I kind of always wanted to do another podcast, 
lockdown came around it gave us loads of free time and I never ended up getting anything done because I was looking at all the podcasts out there like yourself um everyone but us then and now started and everyone had a really good grasp on the kind of things I thought I was going to be touching on like the hardcore scene and stuff like that and I was like yeah yeah I'm not going to be doing anything different to them guys I'm not going to be doing anything better than them guys so eh, what do I fucking do here <laughs> So I kind of left it and left it and sort of in my usual way, I procrastinate a shit ton over stuff like that. And then when the second sort of, I think it was when the second lockdown came in, I was like, you know what I could do? I could just have a chat with my mates and just keep it really informal. No set questions, no set sort of topic or agenda. I just grab people that I'm friends with and we have a conversation for however long that conversation goes on for. Yeah, yeah. Because I think like, as I say, it's people that, I hadn't heard on like podcasts and stuff before. And I thought, thought like the one with May was really cool. Cause like I've, it's weird. Like I've known May for years, but like we are uh, like, whenever we chat, we don't chat about the stuff that you were chatting about. So it was really yeah. cool to kind of like hear that side of things. And same with like Ferg, like me and Ferg met back when he was still like living in, in Dorset sort of thing. And right. Yeah. Like, so yeah, it's 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 really cool to kind of like hear though like different side of like those sort of characters. Yeah. Like, I know they're people, but like... well, it, and that was one of the things I want to do is like there's people out there that some people will barely know, like Ferg, like Hannah, for example. A lot of people in the hardcore scene kind of see them about at shows but don't really know them as people. Yeah, yeah. Then there's other people like Louis who you've interviewed and loads of people have interviewed. Everyone knows his story within hardcore and music, but yeah, what yeah. about him as a person which is why i had to bring up the train thing <laughs> yeah you know because it's like i i knew that was something about his personality and about who he is that probably most people wouldn't have known about and i was like you know yeah well, yeah drag this into the light and i'm just gonna be and that's what i've done is like i wanted to sort of chat to people about things that wouldn't necessarily be known about them kind of thing yeah but in a way no, that wasn't cool, like man. Oh well, you're a fucking train nerd. Da, 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 shit like that. It was like, you know, <laughs> tell us where where does this come from? Like, where does this? Because it's so completely the opposite of what most hardcore kids would think people are into within hardcore. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I was like, well, where does that come from and stuff like that? And that's all I wanted to do really is get that kind of thing out of people. Yeah, man, that's cool. Um, well, obviously, we'll shift the focus back onto you because that's the reason I got you <laughs> on here. Um, so obviously, how I kind of always open it up is to sort of like get your kind of background and how you got into sort of like music and stuff. So what was your sort of entry point into alternative music? What was your kind of first exposure to it? Um, my first exposure to it's weird because growing up as a kid, um, my dad didn't really have any contemporary music in the house. Right. Okay. We listened to classical and jazz and a bit of easy listening here and there that'd be on the radio, but nothing yeah. majorly contemporary. So I didn't hear contemporary music until I went to secondary school, which is like okay. 11 years old upward sort of thing i went to a school that was predominantly like um a sort of black community jamaican community sort of area right okay. um, so my first introduction to contemporary music was nwa straight out of compton oh okay cool so i came to any kind of contemporary music through hip-hop right yeah, yeah yeah then i was sort of i changed school um and started hanging around with people that would eventually become the original 50 caliber guys uh, okay yeah yeah we all went to the same school um and it was their guitarist at the time terry ains the original guitarist who introduced me to sepultura's chaos ad um fear factories demanufacture machine head burn my eyes 
and then going from there, I started falling in love with heavy music, noticed everything was on Roadrunner Records, dived into Roadrunner Records catalog and found hardcore from there because they had Madball, they had Vision of Disorder. They yeah, would eventually yeah. get Earth Crisis, which then led me to the Victory Record stuff because of Snapcase and Strife and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, it was a pretty quick route from once I started finding it. It was fairly quick to dig into it. And yeah, yeah, from there sort of thing. So, like in terms of, like I know you said the kind of um, Tony kind of like was like showing you, but was it kind of him like actively being like? yo dude check out these bands or was it just because you'd seen him like listening to stuff or you were with him when he was listening to yeah, these kind of bands kind of thing? a lot of it was like we'd all hang out over a place called the pyramids which is like a little sort of open ground bit with football fields and shit like that on it and we'd hang out by the front there and they'd have like a little radio tape deck yeah and they'd just have the tapes on now coming from a hip-hop perspective all that screaming noise that i was introducing <laughs> i initially just found it funny I was like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck is that? What? That's not, what is that? Like, there's no words to put, when you're coming from literally, I've just listened to NWA, Wu-Tang Clan, Ice Cube, stuff like that, to Sepultura's Chaos AD. There's no, there's no through line at all. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What the fuck is this noise? And I just found it funny. And the more we sort of mocked it and fucks around with it, the more I kind of, actually, them songs are sticking in my head now. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's literally how it happened. It was just shit was sticking in my head. And I was like, I kind of like that now. And the slow progression from there. So it literally started with them playing tapes and little CDs and shit over in the middle yeah. of the fucking park. It's funny you say that because, like, to be fair, I've never really kind of thought about this. But because I was kind of similar. Like, so I've told this story loads of times, but like my brother was the one that kind of got me into sort of like punk, metal, whatever. But before that, I was listening to like Eminem and like Blur were like the two sort of like artists that I'd kind of go to. So I, I'm trying to think like what my first reaction to like hearing heavy stuff was. And it probably was that like, what the fuck is this kind of reaction sort of thing? So just in terms of like, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but because just you mentioned Sepultura. Um, and I know obviously I was at Ready Fest. God, fucking hell, it was two years ago now, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But obviously, Eagle was there and he did a thing with Strife. So was that kind of a weird experience for you? Like this band that you um, kind of was your gateway is now a show that you put on. Yeah, that was very surreal because that day, the um, Strife's like tour manager guy hands you the guest list. Yeah. And it's got Eagle on there. And I'm just like, well, that ain't going to fucking happen. Like, why the fuck would Eagle Cavalera turn up? forgetting that I had been told that Igor actually lives or has part-time lives here in London. Yeah, yeah. Which I'd been told and they've kind of just obviously gone over my head and forgotten about. So it's like, okay, whatever. And I didn't actually see him enter the building. I have no okay. idea when that fucker turned up. But then to have him <laughs> on stage, bear in mind, Strife are one of my favourite hardcore bands of all time as well. Like, so I've got Strife playing my show. Then I've got Guy whose band's responsible for being into heavy music, full stop, playing drums with them for this one song, covering <laughs> a fucking Black Flag song. And I'm just like, this is the most surreal thing. That I, I think even Rich posted up about it the other day, like because it was like an anniversary or something. Yeah. And I was just like, this was the most surreal experience in my entire life because that band was responsible for getting me into metal or heavy yeah, metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Strife one of the bands that kind of made me responsible for keeping me into hardcore. And yeah, cementing my love of hardcore. So to have it all combined at a show that we're putting on, 
was yeah it was surreal it was just like i was so because I, I was just, so i was like i was doing photos of that show and i was so you know obviously at the new cross inn they've got the pillar just to the right yeah i was basically just hugging that that whole strife set <laughs> Um, my friend was like behind me, kind of one making sure I wasn't falling over, and two making sure my camera didn't get broken. Yeah, and he just kind of like leant over to my ear and he was like, "Look in the corner." I was like, "What?" He's like, "Look over in the corner." I was like, "Oh fuck, that's Eagle Caballero." It was just like it was so fucking weird. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that's probably the happiest I've been at any of our shows because of them reasons, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, okay, no, um, this is happening. This is real sort of thing. <laughs> so then, like, as you say, like, once you kind of got into sort of that momentum of, like, finding bands, it was quite quick, the journey into, as you say, like, yeah. your mad balls and then going on to Earth Crisis and all that kind of thing. So were you, I don't know, like, were you really, like, actively kind of, like, digging into these bands? Because, like... I'm guessing this was kind of like pre sort of internet age yeah. and stuff. So how were you kind of going about like discovering all these bands and um, how were you finding bands that were more kind of, I guess, hardcore leaning? Yeah. I mean, it's, I suppose it's a story that most people in my generation have is you look at banks lists in CD packets. Yeah. You get the CD book that you flick through the lyrics and all the rest of it. We think they'd have a bunch of people's names. You'd be like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me, but it'd be like, we thank Scarhead. We thank Crown of Thorns or whatever. You know what I mean, all these bands, you'd be like, where the fuck do I get hold of them? Yeah. Now, being based yeah. in London, we had like at the time, and I ended up working for them, loads of HMVs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And HMV would order shit in for you. Like if they had access to it on their computer, they would order it for you. It might take yeah, a few yeah. weeks to come in, but they would get it for you. If not, Tower Records in Piccadilly Circus at the time. Was a oh, yeah, shit. I forgot about Tower Records. Yeah, Tower was amazing for that sort of stuff. Yeah, like you would like, go. I mean, it'd be it'd be expensive because it was imported, but you know, at that point in time, I had a bit of free income floating around. I'd be like, I don't mind paying twenty quid for a CD, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that changed drastically when I started working for HMV and getting my discount and stuff like that on it. And then my first few years of HMV was just coming out with piles of CDs. <laughs> like, look, I'm getting thirty percent off this shit. Yoink! I'm just having all of this. Yeah. <laughs> That was like a similar. Like I had a friend that worked in the HMV down here, and like it was a similar thing. I think it was weird. Like I remember they for because they until he started, they didn't have. It was just like all generic metal, so it was like yeah, all your like your Roadrunner stuff. But then he'd start to like sneak stuff in. Like so, there was like the Have Heart demo on CD. There was like <laughs> Comeback Kid, and yeah. it was like nobody. But me and like one other person is going to buy this, but he was like ordering it in because he knew we'd buy it, which was pretty sick. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like back in the day when when I first started there, we had a white. We when I first started with HMV, they hadn't floated on the stock market. Yeah. So there was no stock shareholders to please. It was a yeah, 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 set, completely sort of limited company type thing, and we had so much free reign in what we could order in. Like we were just told if you wanted to make a rack of something to because something was happening, go and order the CDs and put the rack up. We don't give a shit. That's cool. So we would like when I got there, I was one of the only metalers in that particular shop. And there was a few of us all started to say at the same time. We all started around the time they moved across the road. So 
we were just like, right, what ain't they got? Because like you say, they had all the generic obvious stuff where you rode one of the records, this stuff like Corn and Deftones and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't have anything below the surface of that. And we started in like 2000. So we were like, right, at the driving was about to blow up because it was just yeah, before yeah. Relationship of Command came out. So we were getting in the pre- previous album, like Casino In, Casino In, Casino Out, whatever it's called. We yeah, were looking yeah. for the stuff that we knew was about to blow up and getting the early shit in and things like that. And then just looking at other hardcore stuff that we liked and putting that mm. in. So then in terms of like going out to sort of like shows and things like that, obviously growing up in London, you're kind of in a bit of a, a privileged position because oh, yeah. obviously London's the hub for a lot of like tours and stuff like that. So were you going to like shows quite early on in in sort of like your sort of like musical development or I mean, did I, that kind of come along a bit later? I started going to like, I was going to metal shows pretty much as soon as I could. Um, as soon as mm. I got into it, as soon as I found out shows were happening sort of thing, I'd start going to them. Then the sort of bigger hardcore bands like, you know, you're sick of it alls, your mad balls, things like that were coming over and I'd go and check them out. The local scene, I only knew about it because of the guys in 50 Caliber. And right, they would yeah, go, yeah. oh, we're going to play the Ruskin Arms in two weeks time come down and i'm quite a shy person so it wasn't like i was going out and meeting all the people that were there because it turns out most of the people that i'm now friends with were at them shows like yeah, the guys yeah. in nine bar the guys in knuckle dust were at them shows i just didn't talk to any of them i do vaguely remember a very young pierre bouncing around like a lunatic at the ruskin arms <laughs> um but yeah i i didn't talk to them or anything like that i just knew the two terriers and billy from caliber at the time so we just sort of hanging out with them. Um, so I didn't really find the local scene that much. I'd go to the odd show that whenever 50 Caliber said they were playing something, I'd try to get to it, whether it was the Underworld, mm. or it was a small venue like the Ruskin Arms or something like that, I'd try to get along to. But I didn't really meet anyone like that. But I did get to see some like early Knuckle Dust shows, some early Caliber shows. I say early, probably yeah. within there, like, for, I kind of forget how old Knuckle Dust are. Like, I forget that started <laughs> in 96. Yeah, you know, um, so yeah, probably like 2000 2001 was when I started seeing Knuckle Dust and Nine Bar and bands like that as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but then I fucked off and I went, did a whole load of traveling, so I wasn't in the UK that much for about four or oh, five okay. years. Like I'd, I'd come here, have a job, but I would literally just take holidays and disappear, so I was never around for shows and stuff like that. So by the time yeah, I yeah. got back into it properly, it was the arse end of 2005. Okay. And that's when I met Matty Bar and Matty Bar was like, oh yeah, come down to the 12 bar. Which is obviously oh, okay, like cool. the 12 bar was then that legendary Ruction first Saturday of every yeah, month, yeah. 12 bar Ruction show. And that's kind of where my real sort of getting involved in the local scene started. Yeah. And obviously I spoke to when I had Louis on like, obviously we meant, we spoke about obviously sort of like the Ruction sort of scene and like the whole LBU kind of yeah. sort of side of things and things like that. So I'm not going to go too much into sort of like that background and stuff, but like, because obviously like you were friends with, with, as you say, like the 50 caliber guys, and then obviously later on kind of getting to know everyone in that kind of world. Was it just because it was like London hardcore or like, because it was, I guess, hardcore more generically that you were kind of drawn to that? Or were you always a fan of, of that sort of like, Ruction sound and, and that kind of London hardcore sound. I think it comes from the fact that the stuff I got into to start with from America, like the Mad Balls and stuff like that, is very much where the London stuff takes its influence from. 
Yeah. So there's a similarity between that New York hardcore that I first started getting into and the early London bands. And so it's a natural transition, really. It's kind of like, if you like Madball, you're going to like Knuckle Dust. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. If you like Knuckle Dust, you're going to like Nine Bar. You know, there's that sort of train of bands that you're kind of like, once you're into that kind of style, there's no reason why you wouldn't like the other bands around that scene. So I just found a trip over a scene, essentially, that had yeah. loads of stuff that I was kind of predisposed to like because of the stuff I'd been into previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just like, and yeah, this just, is... And just because, like, obviously you mentioned sort of travelling, like, out of interest, whereabouts did you go? Did you go sort of, like, here, there and everywhere? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I bounced around. I'd go to the States a few times. I went to sort of Hong Kong, uh, South Korea, China, uh, Thailand, places like that. I didn't really yeah. spend much time in Europe. I had no real interest in Europe at the time. More of an interest now, but like, yeah, back then I was kind of just like, I just need to get as far away from the UK as I could at the time. I was having a rough <laughs> period of time here, and I was like, you know what? I was going to take holiday after holiday after holiday, and just keep yeah. fucking off, sort of thing. And I got I got myself into a shit ton of debt as a result, but <laughs> but it was worth it, you know. I was going to say it's probably totally worth it though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously at the moment like that's I didn't do a whole lot of traveling. I but I've toured like through Europe quite a lot and just sort of like go into the random like little towns and stuff in Europe. It's like yeah. one of the things I'm massively missing at the moment. So yeah, I think we all are traveling. The, ability yeah. to tra- the thing is, is like, these days I don't travel that much, but the fact that the ability to do so has been taken away from me. Is yeah, like, yeah. Well, whenever, I want to go to Holland again now. I want to do it's like, uh, but I can't, but normally <laughs> if it was all open as it had been normally without this COVID bullshit, I would be like, oh, I'll get there when I get there. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll go when I go. You know, what I mean, it's that sort of you don't realize what's what you've got until it's gone. You know, it's yeah, the old definitely, term. definitely. So, in terms of you, like actually playing music, obviously you've done some vocals in in various bands and stuff. But did you ever kind of dabble like playing any instruments, or or has vocals always kind of been the thing that you've been leaning towards? I mean, I own a couple of guitars. I can't play them very well. <laughs> That's the thing. The guitar here is just for me to just like pick up and fuck around with. I nowhere near good enough to play in a band. I can't even remember the riff while I'm playing it. I'll cycle it through five or six times and it will start to morph while I'm playing it. I'm like, shit, what did I start with? <laughs> so there's no way I could play in a band because I just can't remember shit. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've always done vocals because it's the one thing I can do. Like I've yeah. always written lyrics as like, even before I was in bands, I would just write out sort of ideas of lyrics or poetry type stuff so i've always done mm. that and so it just came natural that i'd be a vocalist but then i can't actually sing yeah, yeah, yeah. i can't sing i can't rap so that leaves hardcore <laughs> fair enough but like i guess in terms of like not necessarily the writing sort of things but i guess when you were kind of getting into sort of like going to shows and, and things like that not because it was the thing that you could do, but were you kind of like more drawn to, to vocals or was it just a case of like, oh, this is something I can do? It's definitely a case of that's something I could do. And also I like to write. Right, okay. I'm not I'm not a big fan of being a frontman. If you've ever watched any of my bands, most of them have more than one vocalist and the other person does the frontman job. Right, you yeah, know, yeah. If you yeah. watch Proven, Gino was the frontman. Yeah. Like I, I would write my lyrics and all the rest of it and enjoy writing the songs and that, but I, I'm not very happy or very comfortable 
being that sort of chatty, jokey guy in front of the stage and chatting with the crowd and that. That's not generally who I am. I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, so I've always been like, if you look at, I think one of my early bands was Deathblow, was me and a girl called Lauren with vocalists. Mm. Then we did, I was in a band called No Survivors. I only played one show and that was me on my own. Then yeah. I, that kind of morphed into Warcrest. Because right. essentially a lot of the same people involved. But we had DBS and Lauren from Deathblow came back and we did mm. Warcrest. Then when Warcrest, I mean, Warcrest is still going now. They've just sort of reformed. They've got a new lineup. Um, but when we sort of stopped doing stuff, we eventually formed Proven. And yeah, I was again, originally I was writing that as, a, as just to be for me. And then I was like, I've got nothing left to write. I'm running out of ideas. I've written everything with Warcrest and all the rest of it. Like, I don't know if I've got anything left to say. And I was mm. like, hit up Louis. I was like, because I know he wants to be in a band. Let's see if he wants to do two voc- dual vocals and we'll go from there. And apparently, like, I didn't know that the same day that the guys had hit me up to join Proven, they'd already spoken, they'd also spoken to Louis at the same time. Okay. So I didn't know that. I didn't actually know that until listening to your podcast, really. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because I contacted him because I was living in Milton Keynes at the time. So I contacted him, it was just like, do you want to do second like dual vocals on this and he was like okay so i sent him the music and then we just got to get he'd come up to milton keynes and we just started right come up with ideas and then we'd go away and write our bits and all the rest of it um, mm. but i always preferred writing to actually like being a frontman yeah that's cool so infractions so, a learning process yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like your kind of you've kind of like listed the bands that you've kind of been part of there so i'm gonna kind of go a bit blow by blow but we won't sort of yeah, go yeah. into all of it too much but obviously you said like sort of kind of starting with sort of death blow was the sort of first thing that you've done yeah so like what was that kind of like actually sort of i guess translating what you'd put onto paper to stage kind of thing what was that kind of experience like for you and i guess going back to what you just said like not kind of having that sort of front man persona kind of thing yeah that was weird was it weird for you to be be in that position it was i mean i was quite lucky again because the the only show we played with definitely again it's one of them show bands that played one show went back to the studio afterwards and couldn't figure out anything else to write or anything from there mm. and there was already there was a kind of internal problems of the fact that the drummer wasn't supposed to be officially our drama because the good female guitarist and her, him had, had some massive blow up when we all used to live together at one point right okay um, so we played one show and we played it in Lauren's hometown, South End. Mm. So it made sense for her to be the front person for that because she knew everyone in the room. Right. So yeah, I was yeah. kind of like, I'm just going to do my bits. You know, for me, it was always like, I know the lyrics. As long as I know the words, I don't fuck this up. And even if I do, it's hardcore. I can shout and scream and just disguise the words <laughs> to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, um, I'm happy providing I do a decent performance. If I'm happy with my performance, then it's a good show. I don't mm. letting someone else do the front and the talking bit was just like fucking, fucking go, you you do it. <laughs> yeah. Um and when it came to as I say, we'll get to proven later on, but when it came to proven, Louis was an unknown entity. If you got I didn't know that he was going to be like that on stage. Mm. So I was preparing myself to have to do all the talking. And then you put a mic in his hand and his mouth started going. I was just like, ah, oh, this is fine. <laughs> I ain't got to do shit. I'm just going to take a step back and I'm going to let you go. And... 
so then, like, as you say, kind of, that only did sort of like one show and obviously various like, other combustible elements and things yeah. like that. But so, I don't know, like, what's the first band that you kind of, like, deem, like, quote-unquote, your proper band? Like, My first proper band, like... I would say, is Warcrest. Because no yeah. survivors, we recorded all the rest of it, but we, again, we only played one, maybe two shows maximum. Um, and Warcrest, as I say, morphed out of that. The drummer, the guitarist, and myself all went over to Warcrest. Mm. Um, we just changed bass player and got a second guitarist in. And there was a second yeah, vocal. Because yeah. the problem with it was, was all of them guys were from Kent. They're all from like Ashford, right. that way. Um, and I was living in London. So when they formed what was going to be Warcrest, they didn't, I wasn't a part of it initially. There was another vocalist there from down that way. Okay. And then the guitarist Dan hit me up and was like, do you fancy coming to do dual vocals on this? And I was like, yeah, okay, what, whatever. So I got a train down to Ashford. Started going to practices, filling in the blanks of the lyrics he'd written, or if he'd written the full song, I would just go, oh, I'm doing that part then. Yeah. And go from there. Um, we played one show with that lineup. Um, yeah. And then that vocalist turned out to be a complete prick. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> it was a weird one where he was sitting in the car and just like making jokes about LBU and stuff like that. He had no connection to LBU whatsoever. Right. And he okay. was like, oh, yeah, LBW and it leg before Wicker and all this sort of shit. <laughs> Fucking hell. And I literally looked at, I was sitting in Tom's car and I looked behind me and I was just like, the fuck did you say? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> fuck is wrong with you, bruv? Like, and eventually, like, yeah, Dan and Tom decided, like, bye, fuck off. You're not yeah, welcome yeah. back. Um, so then, because of the way Ryan's vocal was, it was like this high pitched scream. We needed someone that could mimic that again. So I was mm. like, well, Lauren from Deathblow, she's got a high, high end scream. Get her in. And they were like, yeah, cool. So we got her in. We did another recording i never think went out and it had mugsy from blades of union Union oh sick we did a recording with it for whatever reason that never came out i don't know what happened i don't know i can't even remember what what happened there um but again that would have been it's one of them things with the logistics that would have been a nightmare because you'd have had mugsy in liverpool me in london um lauren out in south end and the rest of the band in kent (laughs) you know it was always going to be a tough one to make that work um so eventually we recruited DBS from Cartel Injury Time. Mm. And he came in, he wrote a few songs with us and we put out the um, Legacy of Misery de- demo thing. That went yeah. up. And we played a few shows with that lineup. It was a good laugh. But again, the logistics of it, because at that point I'd moved up to Milton Keynes. So I was in Milton Keynes, DBS in London, Lauren in Southend, Band in Kent. And they were now rehearsing down somewhere like Dover as opposed to in Ashford. Right. Okay. So just getting to practices was proving to be an absolute nightmare for us to all get there. Um, so mm. it just kind of stopped. I mean, it was always yeah. talk across the very sort of 10 years between times of like doing something back together and all the rest of it. And I was always up for it. And when it did eventually happen, um, they had another vocalist there who's with them now called Tyler. And they said to me, do you want to come back? I was like, yeah, I'll come back. I went up, did the practice with them and just found that I had no affinity for the songs that we'd written back 10 years ago like okay as much as they're great songs and i love them for what they are my mindset isn't in that same place anymore and right, i was yeah, struggling yeah, yeah. with it i was like for me to sing these songs now is going to be an act it's going to be me faking that mindset and mm. I, I don't want to do that yeah um 
so I just said no. But I think that's quite uh, like I don't want this to sound patronising, but like an adult decision to make because like yeah. obviously you've done this project that like you've put a lot into, like as you say, even like putting together the logistics of it, and obviously like you're gonna have some affinity to it because obviously you've played the shows, you've written stuff, so. Like the obvious tendency is, as you say, like yeah, oh yeah, of course I'll go back. But like, to not actually like to take that step back and be like, oh no, I'm not this person anymore, is quite like it was a noble thing to do. I'm, I've always been, and you've probably heard me say it on my podcast, and you've probably seen me type it out on fucking UK Hardcore and all the rest of the fucking pages on Facebook. I really hate it when I can look at a, a vocalist and know that them lyrics don't mean shit to them in reality. Yeah, they're not gonna live up to the lyrics they've put out there if i don't believe the person doing it i have a real time like a real hard time liking the band yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i never want to be that person where it's like people will go go that's bollocks that's not that person and because mm. i know that i'd have to act my way through songs like Greystone walls and that now i was like i can't I, I can't go and do this live and just be like yeah this is like i wouldn't be feeding it as much I wouldn't be yeah, able to give as much energy on stage for it. So it's quite quite interesting. So like before, well, it was a little while before the pandemic now. But I was in like a kind of like math corey band for a little while, and we recorded an album. It still hasn't seen the light of day, <laughs> but like it's one of those things. Like kind of similar to what you're saying. Like I did the lyrics at the time, and obviously they were kind of like my views on the world at the time and what I was going through and stuff. But if we were to play it now, I'd be a complete, like, even though it was only two and a bit years ago, I'd be a complete different person. So yeah. it's just like, yeah, it is that kind of like making that connection to like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a time and place, but like, it is that like, oh, I'm not really feeling this anymore. I, I think it'd be the case of, if Warquest never taken a 10 year stop, or for, at least from my point of view, it was a 10 year stop. Yeah, and we'd been playing all throughout that ten years. Then I wouldn't, st- I wouldn't have a problem playing them songs because that is part of the band's growth from day one to wherever you get to ten years down the yeah, line. Of course, but with that big massive gap and having done Proven, which had a completely different vibe to it, and then having done the Starts of Infraction, which had a completely different vibe to it, mm. I couldn't have gone back to where I was. Yeah, doing that sort of thing. Like that was what I was struggling with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get into like proving, obviously, like with Warcraft, obviously, sort of like I know you were kind of all dotted around the place and everything, but obviously, you did do kind of like shows in London and, yeah. and things like that. So I know, obviously, like you were kind of part of like the London scene in terms of you go- attending shows and things, but was that kind of your first exposure of like actually like? being part of that world playing it with Warcrows. I mean, No Survivors show was the 12 bar. The No Survivors show was right, the okay. 12 bar. So I already knew, like I said, I knew Matty, I knew Pierre and all that lot by this point. And they were really supportive. Like, hey, you've got a band. I think they knew Dan from his previous band, Days of Pain, stuff like that mm. as well. So they was like, oh yeah, you got a band, we'll put you on. It was that simple, you know what I mean? That was the thing. If, if you, if you were <laughs> yeah. mates with them, and you had a band, they were quite happy to put you on a show sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, cool, fine. And so yeah. by the time War Christ came around, which is probably another year on from No Survivors, I knew everyone. I was quite comfortable with everyone. 
and we could just go and play the show. And obviously having DBS in the band as well, who was quite mm. close with all that lot as well. It just made sense, you know. I mean, we'd play them shows quite quite regularly. Yeah. So in terms of like, because with, I think like for me, I feel like Proven was very much like embedded in that sort of like LBU yeah. sort of unit in comparison to, to War Christ. Because I think... Warcrest is a bit more like even though it's it is hardcore, it's a bit more sort of like metal it's, leaning at times. It has a lot more DB and then metal. I mean, originally it was set up as a DB band, right? Okay, and then as it's progressed, it's become more and more metally. I think, yeah, especially now that Tala's doing vocals, who has a very sort of grindcore style vocal style to what he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but like obviously with Proven, like it was a bit more kind of like a traditional sort of like. LBU sound, yeah. like London hardcore sound and things. So were you kind of like excited to kind of dip your toe into that kind of world? Like I know obviously as you mentioned, like you kind of had like Gino there to kind of bounce things off of. My but... excitement for that band literally came from Mark Doodham walking up to me at the Knuckle Dust 15th anniversary show and saying, do you want to be in a band with me and Adam? We're the guys from Hellbent Die Hard. <laughs> now... <laughs> Everyone's probably heard me bang, bang on about this. That Hellbent Die Hard album is the best thing that as UK hardcore has ever produced, bar none. It's <laughs> yeah. fucking insane, that album. And so when the two guitarists from my favourite band of UK hardcore history want me to do vocals in their band, it was a no-brainer. I was just, I was, yeah, yes, yeah, of yeah. course I fucking do. Yeah, you know, there was no question. He literally went, do you want to do it? I was like, yes. <laughs> of course. Um, I didn't actually end up meeting Adam properly until our first practice. Um, but so I will go back to Milton Keynes. He sends me the MP3s on an email. I listened to them and I was just like, these are really good. Fuck, these are really good. I can't fuck this yeah. up. I spent two years with them demos and made every kind of excuse known to man to Mark as to why I hadn't written anything. Oh, wow. Because I was petrified of fucking that up. Yeah. Because I was like, if I don't do a good job of this, they'll just boot me out of the band. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for two years, I just sat there looking at blank bits of paper, listening to the instrumentals in them five tracks over and over and over again. And it was literally like about six months before we did it, I was just like, I need another vocalist because I don't know what I'm going to write. Yeah. And that's when I contacted Gino. So then in terms of like, you guys actually sort of like going out and, and doing shows, I know like you didn't do like, masses amounts but i think like the reaction to it was like really positive and as you say it was kind of a lot of people's sort of introduction to to gino in in some aspects as yeah. well so there was kind of an intrigue to to him and things like that so was it like what was it like being part of that to, not saying like there was a buzz around the band but there was like people that were like I want to check this out. I want to see what this is all about. And as you say, like having those members, like the the back catalogue that they had sort of thing, was it strange kind of going into a band that had a bit of like hype and suspense it, around it's it? It's weird. I don't think we had any hype when we first started because as much, okay. as, as, much as everyone knew Hellbent, they didn't really know Mark or Adam as people. Right, yeah, you yeah. Know, most of the people that knew Hellbent knew Chris because he was the vocalist who was also a guitarist for Nine Bar. Yes. Um, and obviously, most of us had worked with Sam, their drummer, because Sam was the Crow's Nest. Mm. 
So of Hellbent, Adam and Mark are probably the two least known people at that time. So yeah, yeah. wrap around that. Um, and Gino was just known as someone that came to show, same as me, we're just people that came to shows. So there was no initial hype behind the band really at all. Um, it took a while for those people to start to pay attention. I mean, our first show was the free sort of night before party of damage control in 2013. Right. And we didn't have a bass player. <laughs> well, we had a bass player or supposed to have had a bass player. Um, and he hadn't really learned the songs. And on the day he was like, I can't do this. Oh shit. And we were like, okay. So he turned up at the show and was singing along. He was the only person that was singing along. Cause obviously no one knew anything at that point. Um, and Ian, cause Ian, who would eventually become the bass player later down the line had recorded all of the stuff for the demo. Right. Okay. Um, so them two knew the songs and that was it. And we played with no bass player to a virtually empty unicorn. Oh shit. Um, you know, and that's what your first show should be. As far as I'm yeah, concerned, yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. rites of passage and your first show should be to a virtually empty fucking venue with the sound man and the dog from the fucking pub that are watching you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, that's yeah. what you expect. Um, and then we were just like, we need a bass player. Um, so we put a message up and I think Nicky Baxter was the first person to respond from knuckle dust yeah and he was like i'll do it for a bit he's like i can't do it full time because i mean like a dozen other bands at the time but i'll do it for a bit so he came along he played about nine ten shows with us and then he's like i think he was just about to do some shows with the business okay and he was like i need to like drop something and it's gonna be you guys we knew it was only temporary anyway put a message up and about literally seven or eight seconds after putting the message up ian was like i'll do it (laughs) <laughs> and we were like all right cool and so ian came in and ian did the second the split with tirade with us yeah base. so yeah and eventually he would leave and we got um matty bar on base yeah. for a bit and obviously we lost our original drummer matt and we got rich into for the second half of it yeah and because obviously like as i say it wasn't the longest lived project but there was like people that were like into it and like fans and stuff so like is there a part of you that kind of like i know like circumstances and stuff change but like that you hoped that it would have done a bit more or do you think it kind of served its purpose in some ways i never look at it doing any band doing any sort of oh we've got to do this or we've got to do that or we'd like to do this we'd like to do that i just want to have fun and yeah. provided I'm having fun with a band, I don't really care whether we tour fucking Europe or whether we don't go to Europe or whatever. As long as the, the members of the band are all having a laugh and we all have a good time together, I don't really mm. care. Like, it, it's <laughs> nice to go and play. Like, I mean, proven when abroad a couple of times, we went and played Belgium. We did like three days in Belgium once and then we went over and did France and Holland the next time. And they were fun, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say it wasn't fun going over there. I've enjoyed my time over there. But it's not something yeah, that yeah. I was like that's a specific aim I want to do. I need to do that. Otherwise my band's a failure. It's, yeah. it's something that comes along. If people want to see you out there, if people out there are yeah. interested in seeing you, you'll get one of their promoters will heat you up and they'll be like, do you want to come out? And you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. 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 And you treat it as a bit of a holiday. <laughs> and like, I, I asked Gino this as well, because I always find it like interesting, especially like, the way that mainland Europe like treats like hardcore, it's got like a, I think I think it's got like quite an old school like mentality in terms of like the hardcore that they like. Yeah. Like, people like especially in like Germany and Holland and things like that, 
so how did you kind of find like the reaction to proven in europe like i don't know where was it sort of like something you expected or was it kind of like we had no a idea bit of a culture expect. shock we had no idea how <laughs> people were going to react in fairness we were just like look we sound fucking weird in our own scene so how the yeah. fuck europeans are going to respond to <laughs> isn't it anyone's guess um but we had a good reaction out there you know considering at the time we went out there barely anyone really knew the first time we went out there no fucking knew who we were yeah, yeah, yeah. um and the guys from headshot were just like hey do you want to come out and be like support while we do a few dates over in belgium and we were like yeah all right so we went out there um and our friend baptiste sort of helped us with translation and stuff because we got asked to do some radio show oh really uh, some i think it's called slap or sleep radio and we had to do it on the sunday and the guy Nick, nicholas apparently speaks english but he's not very confident in doing it on radio and it's his show so yeah. he's speaking, I believe he's speaking French and Baptiste is translating between six of us God all talking over no. each other and he's hung over from the night before. So he's like trying to write down notes of what we're saying and then translating it into French for Nicholas, who's then sort of answering the questions back and all the rest of it. And I, at one point, while I was playing music in between, Baptiste just looked at us and was like, you guys need to slow down when you're talking. <laughs> like fuck me she's like i can't like my head's just going to explode because me and gino speak fairly quick yeah yeah yeah. and obviously we talk over each other as well so there's like us two just banging back and forth and there's poor baptiste trying to make notes and just like <laughs> make it stop <laughs> but yeah i mean the reaction over there was pretty cool um like i say we had no idea what whether we, we thought everyone was just going to stand stock still because no one would have known us but, you know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. were moving, people were having a good time. So I can't complain about it. It was good fun over there. Yeah. Um, before we get on to Infraction, I want to kind of like touch upon something that you've spoken quite sort of like openly about in on your podcast and, and other interviews that I've read. But like, it's your heart condition, if you don't mind me sort of like touching yeah. upon it. So like, obviously you don't need to necessarily go into it too much, but like when that kind of like, you realised that there was something kind of up kind of thing. Yeah. What was your kind of like, not your reaction's the wrong word, but like, what was that kind of like in terms of like your sort of like body? Were you kind of just sort of like, oh, fuck, like so there's something not quite right here kind of the thing? The first time, it was weird because what had happened is the Christmas before I'd got pneumonia. Right. And I'd been sitting in a meeting with all the other, because I work in um, retail security. Yeah, And so every six months, the whole area's team of guards get together and we have a meeting about what we're planning for the next six months sort of thing, what's happening. And my pneumonia, I'd had a really bad cough and was just like struggling with what I thought was just like a chesty cough or whatever. And I started coughing and coughing and coughing and then suddenly couldn't breathe. And was like carted out and was like, I can't get any air. Found out it was pneumonia and all the rest of it. A few months later, I had a chest pain. I was like, is that because of that? Because I'd been told that the chest, I would start getting chest pains and chest infections would be a lot easier because of the damage that pneumonia does. Yeah. So I was like, oh, fucking hell, I feel really like tight. Like, what's going on? Um, and never really got any diagnosis. I've still not got a true diagnosis for it. But as time's progressed, I've learned there's different stages of the attack. And if I can catch it mm. early enough with enough painkillers, I can generally breathe my way through it okay but when the first few times it happened i'd wind up in hospital and the problem was because no one could diagnose it and when you have an actual attack all they check for is that you're not having a full-blown heart attack 
Yeah, yeah. They're not going to go and do an in-depth investigation to you there and then. They just want to make sure you're going to live. Yeah. And so you'd be like, taken in, have blood tests, all the rest of it. No sign of a, a true heart attack. Patch you up. Make sure you're okay. Send Stick you in a cab. Off you go home. And that yeah, happened, yeah, yeah. That was happening like every month to six weeks. For oh, about two hell. years. And I'd go to my doctor. We'd try all different things to investigate it. The problem is because the attacks are random, they'd put like a 24-hour mm. tape on me. So it just re- registers your heartbeat for 24 hours. But if I don't have an attack in that specific day... Yeah, you're just going to have reg- a, a normal heartbeat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they did a seven-day monitor and the same thing. And because it was like sporadically across a period of weeks, I was like, unless you're going to put this on me for like two months solid, you're n- probably going to miss when an attack happens. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so they, we kept missing attacks and stuff like that. Um, and my doctor was just like, you can't do any physical activity. Mm. So, like, at the time I was just getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I had to scrap all of that. I couldn't do any sort of real physical things. The one thing I refused to give up was music. I was like, well, I'm only on stage for half an hour at a month. Yeah. And I can, we've, we've proven, because there's two vocalists, I don't have to run around the stage like a lunatic. Yeah. People can focus on Louis. Louis can focus, like, run around like a lunatic. The rest of the band can move around. I can just chill. Yeah. And because it's dual vocals, I've not got to worry about, oh, I've got to, <gasps> and do a whole verse and stuff like that. Like, there's yeah, there's yeah. plenty of gaps within the songs where I'm not doing anything sort of thing. So I refuse to give up the music. And obviously, as people have seen me come off stage and be massively ill straight after a set. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, particularly the one you was at Ready Ready Fest when we played the last ever Proven show I yeah, literally yeah. went outside and collapsed outside in the heap on the floor yeah because I was in fucking agony um, but yeah I mean I haven't had an attack re- proper attack in about a year and a half now so that's cool I've kind of been like fuck it and gone back to doing physical activity and stuff like that I was like well if it's going to kill me it will kill me <laughs> I, 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 it's one of them things it's like if you let it you worry about it and you let it take over everything that I do I do nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. just like I'm too, I'm too pissed off to do that. So I'm just like, well, fuck it. I'm gonna continue doing what I do. Well, that was the reason I wanted to bring it up, just because, like, obviously, like you are still doing bands and and things. So I wanted to just see if it was kind of something that's like in the back of your head, like when maybe not necessarily like our practices and stuff, because you can kind of dictate what you're doing and stuff. But like when you're going into shows, like. I'm not saying that it's an anxiety thing because obviously like you don't know what's going to trigger it or stuff but like is it something that's in the back of your head when you're when you're playing not me but i think it bothers my band more than it bothers me <laughs> <laughs> because they're always perhaps on stage like i mean hannah said to me she's like you know like am i gonna have to pick you up after a set and i was just like and i don't know like i like, i can't tell you for definite that you won't have to do that at some point yeah yeah, so, yeah. you know just be prepared to put your guitar down and like hike me off the fucking stage <laughs> that's fair enough but i'm glad to hear that like things have kind of well yeah, I, mean, I mean i'm microchipped i've got like a fucking usb thing stuck in my chest that monitors my heart yeah and a little machine stuck under my bed that monitors me throughout the night so that's cool um, so in terms of infraction, so weirdly, the way I kind of ha- found out about your band was through Hannah. So I've like I've known Hannah for oh, fucking hell, 
So me and Hannah went to school together. Like, yeah. So I'm like I met her when she was fourteen, maybe. Right. Yeah. But like, obviously, she moved to London. I was sort of flitting around here and there, and then moved back down south. Hadn't seen her in years, and then bumped into her at Ready Fest and was just like chatting, and she was like, "Oh yeah, like I'm starting this new band." I was like, "Oh sick," because like I don't think. At that point, she played like in a band proper for years, so I was like super like stoked for her. And then obviously, like the de- like the EP came out, and I was like, "Oh, this is fucking sick!" Yeah. Sort of thing. So, what was the kind of like idea behind that? Because it's like it's very different sounding to the stuff that you've done previously. So, was there like any kind of like ideas in in your head of like what you wanted it to sound like? Right. So. Basically, what happened was Proven was in the middle of writing the full length that never came out. Mm. And a lot of the work that had been done at that point was like me and Adam. Basically, the way I, I work with Adam is I go over to his place. I sit down and I, like I said, I can't play guitar. So I'll either bring up tracks on Spotify or whatever and be like something like this or like this or like this to get an idea of the vibe that I'm looking for for something. Yeah. And then he goes, okay, I get you and writes. And he's one of these fuckers <laughs> that can just spontaneously come up with a thousand riffs on them without even thinking about it. And you're like, you're a prick. You're a fucking prick and I hate you. As all members of Infraction have said, he is a complete cunt when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're in the middle of writing stuff and we were waiting for like Mark to come and bring his bits or whatever. And Mark had sort of personal circumstances and meant he couldn't do it as often and things like that. So it was a slow process. Mm. And so I was like, we can't, we can't write anymore. Otherwise there's going to be no Mark songs on this fucking album. It will just be yeah. what me and you have written and Mark learning it, which is kind of unfair. Like I want him to have his input on everything. So I was like, so what should we do? I was like, you know what? Why don't we just fuck around and do a side project? And we started writing infraction tunes. And I think the only thing I said was like, I'd like it to just be more simple, but meaner than Proven. I was like, you know, like Proven's quite complicated when you actually sit there and listen to it. Like it doesn't sound it on first listen, but when you actually start trying to play along to it, you realize that it goes all over the fucking show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm not a musician. I didn't realize, but it was when like Ian joined the band or when Matty Barr joined the band, they were just like, what the fuck is going on with these riffs? Why? <laughs> and this is what Infraction have found as well. Like me and Adam wrote the first EP completely on our own, just the two of us fucking around in, in the bedroom. And we were like, let's do it as a side band. And we started recruiting people from that point on. Mm. Um, and so I think the first person we asked was Tom from Protect Your Neck to drum for us. Because he was one of the people we'd asked to possibly replace rich when rich decided he didn't want to drum for any bands anymore he wanted to take a break yeah tom was one of the people we'd kind of mentioned for proven um for whatever reason that didn't happen but we were just like you know we've got this other project do you want to drum for and he was like yeah and i'd met hannah at 12 bar through ferg because i knew ferg right yeah yeah and they started dating and the first time i met her she had a broken leg <laughs> and that was like their first or second like that was the first time she'd been to 12 bar with Ferg but I think it was like their first or second date anyway sort of thing they hadn't been together very long at that point and um, so I met her there and then the second time I saw her at 12 bar we got chatting 
because I think she was wearing a code orange like, hoodie or jacket or something. And I quite like code orange. And we chatted. Yeah. And somehow we got into the conversation that she'd played bass for a couple of uh, Desolated Show or a couple of Desolated Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. So you, like, you play bass. And she's like, well, actually, I'm more of a guitarist, but I played bass to help him out. And I was like, okay, cool. I just kind of logged it in the back of my mind. But I did say to her, someone was like, if there was a side, it's like, if, would you play guitar for a band now? And she's like, well, I haven't played in a long time, but possibly. I was like, okay, cool. Logged it in the back of my mind. So when it came to the fact that we were recruiting for Infraction, I said to her, look, the thing with Infraction, one of the things I wanted to get away from is having a band that's got people in 30 other bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the big problem with London scene is, yes, it seems quite big, but when you actually boil it down, it's five or six people that are all in each other's bands <laughs> continuously. Yeah. So suddenly you're like, well, can we do a band practice? Well, someone's practicing with this band. The other guy's practicing with another one of their bands. It becomes very difficult to get everyone together sometimes, especially yeah, for, yeah. for them people, you're like their third or fourth band. So you're way down the pecking order of what they want to practice when they've got the other bands out there sort of thing. So I was like, let's try and stay away from people that are in loads of bands. So I was just like, well, the obvious person here is going to be Hannah. Yeah. So I spoke to her and she was like, I'm not sure. And I was like, just give it a thought. And I was like, think it over. Because she was kind of worried. Like you said, she had played in a band for years. Yeah. And she was worried that she wouldn't be good enough to do it. And I was like, look, you can learn. Like, you are quite a practical person. You're quite a solution-based person. So mm. I know, I trust you that we'll practice and like learn it as we go sort of thing. So don't worry too much about it. But she was still unsure. We was at the Radio I 20th anniversary show. Not Radio I, Ruction 20th anniversary show. Mm. And I spoke to Tom again, because at this point we were like, really like, me and I were like, let's fucking get this band going as a side project to prove them. Spoke to Tom, he was like, yeah. I was like, do you know any bass players? Because bass players are a rare fucking commodity, it seems. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, Carrie from Idle Hands is looking to do something else as well because Idle Hands at the time hadn't really were kind of in that sort of weird gap where they weren't doing anything. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. So I went outside, me and Adam grabbed Carrie, said, do you want to join another band? He was like, yeah, playing. And he just, he just, he, I don't think he even wanted to listen to it. He was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> then Hannah got back. I think I gave the music to, her, to everyone. I gave it to Hannah as well. And she was like, you know what? This is really good. I really like this. I want to do this. Mm. And so she set herself the goal of learning the songs. And then she was, yeah. Then she, she kind of went, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'll do it. That's cool. So yeah, it's, it was that simple, really. And because, like, in terms of, like, obviously, people sort of know knew you and sort of various other members. But as you say, like, people know Hannah, but she's not necessarily as someone in a band kind of thing. Yeah. So like, this, I don't know, like. Because I'm not that clued into the London scene. Like, I know people, but I don't know like yeah. loads of people, sort of thing. Yeah. But like when obviously I knew Hannah, and obviously she told me that she was starting a band, so that was kind of my in. But this felt like a completely sort of like new and fresh project within the London scene. Yeah. So was that kind of like how you felt towards it as well, or on am I kind of reading a bit too much into it? I think it? for for me and Adam, it was it had been done purely as a palate cleanser from proven. Yeah. And then as we were getting to the idea of running both bands together, sort of thing, side by side, the decision mate was made to end proven. Yeah. Once Richard dropped away and we couldn't find another full-time drummer, um, 
I was kind of like, shall we just call it? Mm. And I think it was me that brought it up as a, should we just fucking call this and just be like, let's play one last show. And I said to Rich, Rich, would you play one last show with us? Because he'd been, he'd left a while back by that point. Yeah. And he'd been taken out of all the group chats and all the rest of it um, while we were trying to find a new drummer. And so I just messaged him on the radio, I think, and was just like, yeah, would you, if we said this is going to be the last ever proven show, would you come back for one show and just play? And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course I would. I said, because what we can do, we can put it on ReadyFest because three of us are going to be there anyway. Because three <laughs> yeah. of us are ready, anyway, so we're going to be there anyway. Don't have to pay the band because it's our band. Yeah. Like, so that's saving us a cost. It's a draw because it's our last ever show. Yeah. You put that on a flyer, that draws people's interest anyway. I said, so let's just do that. And so the decision was made to call it. And at that point, me and Adam were like, and now we put Infraction fully at the front of what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So we practiced for the Proven show, played that, and then just went full whack into like drilling the songs down with the others, mm. the EP, and then got offered the Desolated show. Because obviously Tony from Idle Hands is the bass player in Desolated these days. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So once he, once Desolated would go to like a show at the New Cross Inn. Yeah. Carrie just hit him up. He's like, oh, can we play our first show as the opening act? And we was like, yeah, of course you can. And so that just made sense. Yeah. Because how many shows have you done with Infraction? It's not, two. I know it's not that many. Yeah, it was two. We played that and we played 12 bar in February last year. And now we're sitting here looking at the anniversary of our last show. (laughs) Nothing happening. I mean, we put another EP out in that time, which is fucking horrendous. It's just like we haven't played a single song off that to anyone. And we're already working on new material. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's not as bad. So one of my um, one of my close friends, he uh, so they started a band it was obviously like tail end of 2019 yeah they put out their like demo ep it must have been at the end of 2019 and their first show was going to be his like 40th birthday right but then like so that never happened in that space of time, they've released another two EPs and are currently writing a full length, but they haven't played a single show. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. And this is it. It's like the week that we went into lockdown, we were due to play a show. We had a show yeah. at the New Cross Inn. We were due to play. Um, I can't remember it because it was a really last minute thing. Apparently one of the bands, and we're absolutely sure that the band that asked for us has got the wrong band. Because when we went and listened okay. to the other bands on that lineup, we sound nothing like them. And we're like, we're sure they're fucked up here. <laughs> that they meant someone else. They definitely meant someone else. Um, and maybe they didn't. We never got the chance to ask them about it, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, we, so we were due to play that week. And we also had the band, we also had a show book with Shai Halad at the New Cross Inn. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. In April. And we should have had one with Jesus Peace in, I think it was June. Yeah. And obviously, COVID hit and the world shut down. And so we've been spinning our wheels ever since. So we just went, fuck it, let's write more stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fair. And just with it, like, the one thing that I kind of really like about the infraction, sort of, aside from the music, is the kind of aesthetic and artwork. And obviously, you kind of mentioned earlier, like, you're a big sort of like comic book fan. And it has that kind of like, comic book feel to the artwork yeah 
and I might be kind of reading way too much into this, but is there kind of like a theme running throughout? Because like obviously the first EP is you guys all kind of like sort of bit not like ninjas, but like sort of like suits and sort of like it's all suited like, up like weapons and blades and shit on a yeah, yeah, like Hannah's doing like some flying kick, yeah. but then like the second one is all like just your heads with like these like alter ego like demon kind yeah. of things behind you. So is there is there a narrative to that? Across the two, no, but each piece of artwork is attached to the songs that are on. Right, so, okay. So if you look at the first one, it's quite violent looking, you know, all with blades and all those things. If you look at the songs the songs on there, they're all me having a, attacking various aspects of what I was seeing in the hardcore scene at the time. Right. Okay. So I, I mean, I don't know if you're active on like UK hardcore, UK HC relevant page. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. But there was a period of time when we were going like, you'd see a thread come up, and be like, so and so, so and so is a racist, and then the person who made the accusation five minutes later would be outed as a racist themselves. Yeah. And yeah, there's yeah. this constant like battle of like people being outed for all kinds of dodgy shit, which is where Talkamada came from, which is an early right, racist okay. song. Um, I think Judged is just a song about I'm going to judge the scene i'm going to take a look at all the problems that i see in the scene and just judge the whole fucking lot of you and it is like infractions very much my arrogant side coming out <laughs> very right. much so especially on that first ep um paragon was a similar sort of thing to talk about but it's like all these people were like i'm the head of the scene and look at me i'm so great and look at me i never do anything wrong and then you'd find out they'd abuse some fucking 13 year old girl at a show or something yeah like yeah that. yeah and then no excuses was just Lots of people do this, whether in the hardcore scene or not, where they're like, you'll see statuses from them when you talk to them, and there's always something going wrong in their lives. You know, yeah. this person's done this to me, and then something else has happened. And at some point, when you're going through a load of what seems like bad, like you've got to realise that you're the centre point of it. So is it something you're doing? Is it you that's yeah. the problem? And that's what No Excuses was. You know, No Excuses for Failure is like, I can't blame other people if I fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've kind of got to take some responsibility for it yourself. So the first EP is very violent looking because it's quite aggressive and attacking. Black Room is more about my mental state. And okay. so it's the demons that I deal with, sort of whether it's my sort of anger issues, whether it's my depression, stuff like that. The songs mm. deal with that element of it. Yeah. I think there's only one sort of outwardly looking song on that, which is Masquerade. And the rest right. of it is all like me looking at my past and my mental issues and stuff like that. Mm. And because like just on the black room, like with that one, as I say, it's like the kind of like sort of two sides of, of each character sort of thing. Yeah. So did you guys kind of like have an input of like what you wanted the the sort of like quote unquote darker side of you to look like at all? Or did you leave that completely to the eyes? We left it completely to Mark. I've worked with yeah. Mark a lot. Um, I've known Mark for about 10 years. Literally, it's a Facebook, someone who edited me on Facebook years and years ago because I, most people probably know this who know me. I collect like action figures. I'd yeah. always photograph them and put them up and all this bit. And he must have seen some photos and he added me on Facebook. And when we messaged, he was just like, I'm just like collecting interesting people on my Facebook. <laughs> like, okay, cool. cool. And a few years later, and I'd see his, all, like, his artwork. His artwork back then was much less comic book and much more darker type stuff. Mm. and I just had an idea for a bunch of characters so I sent him new ideas and commissioned him and he drew them up for me and I've never done anything with them they're just sitting on my computer at this point um, 
And then Proven's album was coming around. And I was like, it'd be really cool if we got this guy to do a shit ton of artwork for the booklet. Because it would yeah. make us stand out from everything else that's going on like visually on a CD in the hardcore scene. So we commissioned him. He did a 16-page booklet for us. I've still got all the artwork from that as well. That's never been... <laughs> it's been seen by a few people at this point, but it's never gone out publicly. Um, so when it came around to doing Infraction, I was just like, I'll ask Mark. Just yeah, makes yeah. sense. And obviously between the first and the second EP, he did the coronavirus art, course, which has yeah, gone yeah, fucking yeah. viral. Like it's being graffiti yeah. up on walls in Russia and shit. So like people have... When the second EP come out, everyone's like, this artwork's really good. I kind of recognize the style. And I'd be like, yeah, it's Mark MJ Hibbling who does all this shit. And everyone was like, oh, shit. We got more of a comment about the artwork than the music. Oh, really? Yeah, because Mark's just such a genius, like, illustrator mm. that people are like, this artwork's fucking incredible. And we was like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> Has nothing to do with us. We just went, we want something like this. And it's literally based off an old piece of artwork he had on his Instagram. I was like, something like that, but with our faces and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, I can do that. And That's cool. off he went and created that for us. Yeah. And it's it's nuts, like, how that sort of, like, coronavirus sort of... Because I, I did, like, I don't know, like, Mark at all, but yeah. I, like, obviously I saw your artwork from, like, the first EP. And then, like, I didn't really make the connection until, obviously, the Black Room. But, like, when that sort of... I say that coronavirus one, like so many of my friends like were sharing that, and it was just, like yeah. going around, and it was fucking nuts. But yeah, fair it, play. It, to it. It, it was strange to see someone I've seen create artwork almost daily for about ten years suddenly blow up. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. It was just like holy shit! Like you, you've caught something here, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um. Before, like, I kind of wrap things up. Obviously, just want to touch upon the the other kind of string to your bow, which is obviously Ready Eye. Yeah, and like, I think it's quite interesting because I don't think it really exists that much in the UK anymore. The fact that you run it as a collective, like, it's not just one promoter, mm. like booking the shows and things like that. So, like, I don't want to get too much into sort of like how it kind of started or whatever. But like, within like the booking of it, does each person kind of have their role of like what they do and, and so on and so forth? Basically, the way it works these days is Rich does a hell of a lot of the behind the scenes booking stuff. Mm. Um, and we all just throw ideas around and we argue, right, okay. we argue a hell of a lot. <laughs> um, all, all in love, you know, all probably love sort of thing. But yeah, there's a, Definitely me and Rich go back and forth the most and the other two actors mediators between us. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, when it comes to booking stuff, it's generally like either me or Rich will see the emails come through and we'll be like, that's not bad. Because obviously all like the booking agencies yeah. send out their posts and we're like, like the Strife one. I saw the email first, saw it, I was like, wouldn't it be a fucking laugh if we tried to get these? Didn't expect us to even be able to afford it. Like, didn't know what I was going to be asking for. It was just like, this is going to be fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, and Rich just kind of went, why don't we? And I was just like, I was kind of joking. <laughs> but if you think you can get them to a reasonable price that we could afford, fucking go for it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like, we leave a lot. Of, we leave the negotiating mainly to him, unless it's someone like 
like Ferg knows people in bands like that we wouldn't really have contact with that much. And he knows them yeah. as friends because he's obviously the time in Dorset and all the rest of it. So we'll leave a lot of that to him. Like if he knows someone and he basically, if one of us has got a close friend within a band or whatever, we will generally do the sort of back and forth between it. Yeah. But when yeah, it's yeah. the sort of bigger international stuff, we'll all kind of sit there and agree what we're willing to go up to as a price for someone on what we think mm. they'll draw. We'll have that conversation and then Rich will do most of the negotiating on that side of it. Yeah. And so then in terms of, because I know obviously like you do like one-off shows and, and things like that, but obviously you do ReadyFest as well. Yeah. So when you guys kind of like started like putting shows on, was it always the idea to build up to a fest or is that just kind of come along like naturally the more you book shows and the more comfortable you got? So when it started, let's go back to when how Ready I started. Ready I was basically an idea in my head because I was sick and tired of other promoters. There was people coming from outside of London and putting mm. on big, big all days in London. I was like, fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah, Londoners yeah. should be putting on London shows. You can fuck off back to whichever... Like I'm, I've said this before. I'm very competitive and I'm very aggressive in that sort of thing. I'm like, London stuff should be sorted out by London people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, bizarrely, I'd spoken to all three other members of Ready Fest before about doing a show here and there, sort of thing. And in the end, I was just like, "Fuck it, let's put them all together." So I kind of contacted them. I said, "Why don't we just do it as like a group of us?" Yeah. Well, then if anything goes wrong, there's four of us to collect our money together. Because all yeah, of us yeah, are broke. Yeah. Every single one of us is completely broke in real terms. So if something does go wrong, there's more insurance to sort of back each other up regardless if something goes horribly, horribly wrong with the money side of it. Mm. Um, so that was part of it. At the same time, Rich was already talking to Cold Our Truth to do their 10th anniversary show. Right, okay. And he said he'd bring that to us sort of thing. So we talked about that. And that was kind of a test run for a fest because we did like two two or three small shows prior to that. We did a couple of the small room in teach chances first. And they were our first yeah. couple. Because the original idea was we was going to do four shows a year, one every three months, and one of them might be an all-dayer. Okay. And the Cold Hard Truth 10th anniversary was the test for that all-dayer. And it went so well, we were just like, maybe, maybe we could do a two-day fest. Mm. And so the next year, we looked at doing that. Yeah. And so that's how Ready Fest ended up being born, was just a sort of, we tried it with an all-dayer, it went really well. Let's try something bigger the next year. Yeah. And obviously I know like at the moment sort of shows don't exist. No. Unfortunately. But like obviously the last Ready Fest you had Strife. Obviously you've put Marauder on in yeah. the past. Like not to say that like you're kind of like wanting to grow it into this massive thing and it be like a huge kind of fest but have have there been discussions of like well how do we top strife kind of thing or is it just like bands like just circumstantial of like if something comes along then it's a bit okay, of both maybe shape the fest around that i think it's a bit of both like i mean we've definitely shaped that one around strife mm. um and so if an offer comes along at the right timing and all the rest of it for a big band and we can do it we'll do it and we'll build the rest of the fest around it yeah um, it's just you know everything's kind of circumstantial and everything's kind of just like as things happen we don't have we'd like to see it get bigger obviously 
but there's no sort of set planning. We're going to do this this year. Or we're going to do that this year. It's just like, yeah, let's just relax into it and see what happens. There's always, when we did Marauder, which was the first Ready Fest, there was a point in time when we were just like, can we pull this off? There was certainly yeah, a bit yeah. of doubt going into it. It's like, can we fucking pull this off? And there was even a consideration at one point of pulling the thing, be like, we're not going to do this. This is going to fuck up and blow up in our face. Mm. Um, and in the end, it's that sort of mentality that we have of, oh, fuck it, let's just do it and see what happens. And yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of how we approach it pretty much, is that there is a lot of planning once we've set our mind on something, but we don't ever start the year thinking oh we've got to make last this one's bigger than last year we just kind of go eh, see what happens and then once <laughs> yeah. once we've got the, the once the wheels start in motion then it's like okay now let's start planning properly and digging into where we're going with this yeah 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 but yeah it is chaos and, <laughs> and i'm gonna give throw you throw a hypothetical your way so money's no option let's say ready fest 2022 yeah Money's no option. You can book one band. Who's it going to be? Converge. Oh, yes. Without a shadow of that. Bear in mind, this year, 2021, and I don't think shows can happen this year, will be the 20th anniversary of Jane Doe. Oh, fuck, of course it is. Shit. So I would expect, if they can't do shows this year, I expect them to do some sort of celebration next year for it. Yeah, Because it is the album to put them on the map. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be my... Idea would be like a 20th anniversary Jane Doe show from Converge. That is my perfect. New, I mean, that at the New Cross Inn would be absolute bonkers. It, uh, yeah, that would be chaos. <laughs> yeah, I think I've always said the one band I've always wanted to put on, would always want to put on, will be Converge. That that was, that's cool. I think so. Last year was the first year in fuck. Uh, so I'm t- I'm 31 now, so. 12 13 years that i haven't seen converge like i've seen them every year like since i was about 16 i think <laughs> so yeah it's it's weird like they're the one band that like yeah no matter what whenever they come over i will see them i went for a period of time of not seeing them because the fans became more sort of the metal crowd yeah and i couldn't have fun anymore because i couldn't spin kick someone in the face without getting complaints <laughs> You know, like I saw them back in like when Jane Doe came out and just before Jane Doe came out, you know, it was a hardcore crowd. So like yeah. they'd play the saddest day and everyone would go fucking mental during the breakdown. There'd be like people getting kicked up against the fucking concrete pillar at the underworld and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it sort of become these big more metal crowds turning up at like Brixton Academy and stuff. And the shows just weren't as fun for me anymore. But I did go to see them when they came over with Terror the other year. At the electric yes, ballroom. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at that. That was a good show. Yeah, that was cool. Um, and just like finally, obviously, you guys have kind of, I guess, tentatively booked the show for when things are going to be like yeah. safe to go back to. And obviously, like, I don't know which one of you it is that kind of does like the Facebook stuff, but obviously, I know there's been a lot of like, all right, guys, like, chill out. Yeah, Rich does most of our social media stuff. Um, I occasionally pop in every so often, but very rarely because it's easier if it's just coming from one person. It's not chaos. Yeah, of course. But Um, like, just because obviously you've have like you've announced it, and obviously that got a lot of people excited and things like that. But 
obviously I'm not going to put you on the spot and be like, when's it happening? But is it at the moment? Is it just like a constant communication between you guys and the bands of like when things like might look clearer or has everyone kind of basically said thumbs up green light when it's good to go kind of thing pretty much the latter you know we only communicate with the bands on mass with that when there's something solid decided by the government yeah it's like obviously recently we went into like this second wave type thing which Mm. now means them april dates that we had weren't going to happen yeah so now we've been told the government are looking for everything to be back to normal by july we've not put a date back on it saying july because we just don't know the situation as it stands is so fucking fluid yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of like well we'll see what we're doing at the moment but we've just communicated to all the bands and by the time this goes up most people will know that we've pushed it back to an unannounced date again because we just don't know yeah you know there's just there's no way of knowing in this situation on a personal note i'd be surprised if full normal hardcore shows can happen this year honestly yeah same um if they can it will be the end of the year sort of october november maybe but i am very skeptical of that that being said the minute they say to me i can put a full blown hardcore show on we'll get everyone together and we'll get that show going because we do really want to celebrate uk hardcore you know it's been a rough year for for everyone we don't know mm. what the situation is going to be with traveling for international bands even when we can go so let's do a full uk show yeah celebrate our bands and that was the whole thought behind it yeah and i think like no matter when it does happen like there's like there's so much of a hunger for like people to want to go back to shows sort of thing so yeah. i think it's just as you say like it's good like Obviously, it'll be carnage, but it'll be like the best kind of carnage. Yeah, and I honestly think it sounds weird, but I think in some ways this is going to be good for the UK scene. Because oh, massively. it's going to make people in this country appreciate the bands we have here. When you can't get US bands in, and with the whole Brexit situation, fuck knows what's going on with European bands coming over. Mm. The scene's going to have to be very much more reliant on homegrown acts. Yeah. And finally, I think a lot of people will get the appreciation that they deserve. There's a lot of bands out there that kind of get glossed over because, you know, they're a local band or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. That are really talented. And if it wasn't for the influx of US or European bands playing shows, then UK bands would get more sort of love from our own scene, I think. Yeah, I think definitely. It, and I think it's going like to be interesting to see that. Yeah, because obviously, like, you see a lot of the bands, they'll either be, like, an opening act for the US band or something like that. And unfortunately a lot of the time when you're that band people don't necessarily show up sort of thing so yeah it's yeah it's that kind of shining the spotlight on on them for a change kind of thing yeah i mean cool there were some fires that went out recently that showed i don't know if you remember the old band Vohies. oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were headlining above hate breed oh shit and it's just i think that was over in the states as well like Voorhees were headlining above hate read in the US. And you'll that's never see cool. that kind of thing at the moment. Like no, no. you never see it. And like that's kind of what I'd like to see with this sort of coming out of this the bands from the UK getting that kind of love and respect from our own people. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. could ha- so you could realistically have a US band come over and the US band not be the headliner. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's a That'd long way cool. off. That that that's me being very hopeful and optimistic. <laughs> 
<laughs> Perfect. Um, John, how I like to round this off is, and end things is to ask my guests uh, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. And I know you've only done two shows, but we'll give it a go anyway. Um, but what is your favourite Infraction song that you like to play live and why? Um, so we've only played four songs because the second one is going to play live. Um, right. The band as a whole, I'm pretty sure, really like playing No Excuses. Yeah. I, I like Judged. I okay. like judge because a lyrically it's quite arrogant. It's me saying I'm going to judge everyone, and <laughs> b it's very aggressive. Like it's got that nasty beat down riff at the start of it. Yeah, yeah. you know it's yeah. I really like judged a lot. I like Perfect. playing that live, and I I kind of it's a good opening track for me because it gets me into the mindset of what the rest of the set's going to be like. Yeah, so, yeah, I like that. But the rest of the I band just, would either say I... no excuses or paragon pop. And I just really like complete sort of like ignorance from my point of view. Like, obviously, you said like this is kind of the first, well, one of the first times that you've been the predominant vocalist, sort of yeah. thing. You haven't had someone to bounce off. So, are you enjoying that experience at the moment, or is it still something that you're kind of battling with a little bit? I enjoy it now, but it is one of the things where like I've never been so nervous before getting on stage in my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm literally just like, fuck me. And you get that fucking adrenaline rush and all the rest of it. And then you start shaking. It's, yeah. it's bleak. Um, but like, I'm learning to focus that into that. actually like once I'm playing. And the thing is, as soon as I start playing, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the biggest reasons for having a second vocalist for me was always that I'm liable to forget my lines. Mm. Now, if you look at any proven song, 90% of them start with Louis starting the song. Right, there's okay. a fucking reason for that because <laughs> I can sing along in my head to him to get to my yeah, first yeah, line yeah. and go, Ah, that's my first line. Don't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're going to frequently see me with infraction just staring at the crowd and hoping that someone in the crowd knows the words better than I do. So... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the next line. Cheers, <laughs> and just carry on. Perfect, brilliant, yeah. John. Thank you very much for your time. No mate. Worries, really, man. really thank appreciate you. it. Um, look forward to hearing more more episodes of your podcast as well when, they, you, yeah. when they come out. Yeah. Cheers, man. F- Take care, guys. my friend. Take care. Cheers, man. bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to John for having a little chat with me and taking some time yeah, to sit down with me. Um, as always, all the details of what he's up to with the Carter Chronicles, with Infraction, with Ready Eye, all those details will be put in the description of this episode. Um, yeah, not as I say, not got a lot to kind of plug at this time. <laughs> I feel like this is a bit of a downbeat intro and outro this week, but it's not that I'm downbeat. It's just the way that things are at the moment. There's not a lot going on. But um, just wanted to note, obviously, next week we will be into the first week of February. So next week's episode, just purely because it lands on the Monday and I don't want to double up Monday, Tuesday. So next week's episode is going to be our next in our series of our Track to Track series. Um, And then the following week we'll be returning to regular scheduled programming. But as always, I say this every week, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 
179th time, please rate, subscribe, review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. We're obviously on all the social medias as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just an Insight podcast. Well, on Instagram and Twitter, it's just underscore and underscore Insight. So, yeah, go check out all those lovely places and come join us over there. Um, One thing I did not mention at the top of the show, obviously, we are fast approaching episode 200. So are taking suggestions of people who you'd like to hear for that show. I've got some people in mind, but it's whether we get them or not. I'm I'm aiming high. So, yeah, any suggestions are welcome. So hit us up. Let us know who you'd like to hear. But I'm going to leave it there. Thank you again for joining me on the Justin Insult podcast and I'll see you soon. Bye.